Hello, and welcome to the NLP Highlights podcast, where we talk about interesting work in natural language processing. This is Matt Gardner and Walid Ammar. We are research scientists at the Ellen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. All right, today our guest is Siva Reddy. Siva is a postdoc at Stanford University with working with Chris Manning. He's been there for about a year and a half. Before that, he was a PhD student at Edinburgh working with Morella Lapata and Mark Steedman. He's done a lot of work on semantic parsing and question answering kinds of things, including most recently the COCA dataset, uh, conversational question answering. Siva, welcome to the program. Thank you. Today, we wanted to talk about something that's been on my mind a lot recently. We had a brief conversation with this with Sam Bowman in a previous episode where Sam Sam was talking about glue and how there was a leaderboard for glue. Today we want to tackle this issue of leaderboards a little more broadly and what's good about them and what's bad about them. And Siva very kindly agreed to come and talk about this with me. So Siva, what gets you interested in leaderboards? What experience do you have with this? So I should first of all clear it that I'm not the expert on leaderboards, but like I did some research on leaderboards. The main reason was we recently released a dataset called COCA. This is a joint work with uh, Dan Chen and Chris Manning here. And this is a question answering dataset and it's very similar to Squat, but the main difference is that you're having a question answering in a conversational style. And we wanted to have a leaderboard to track progress on this dataset. And when I visited Irvine, you thought I had some good points on on what is good and bad about leaderboards. So here I am. Yeah, I guess I was pretty negative. I've been pretty negative about leaderboards. And you brought up some good points that I hadn't thought of before. So I thought this would be a good conversation. So do you want to tell us what you found out in your research about leaderboards? First off, I guess we should clearly define what a leaderboard is. What are we talking about here? Yeah, a leaderboard is nothing but a table with some set of results. So if you see the evolution of leaderboards, they first came through games. And I could pinpoint to this evidence that Space Invaders had the first leaderboard. It was created in 1978. And uh, the leaderboard has just top 10 players. And because there are memory issues there, they just had three characters each. Wait, wait, wait. So are you... Space Invaders. Are you talking about an arcade game? So the ar- the arcade machine had a leaderboard? Is that what you're talking That's about? That's right, yeah. Okay. Like, I, I was wondering, like, 1978, how do you get, like, a global oh, list no. of who's the best? But you mean, like, per per machine, there's a leaderboard. Yeah, I, I, I remember those. Also, the main reason they introduced these were retention rate they found that when you have leaderboards more more and more people the same people come and play and i agree on that like i used to have this video game a snake game and also a brick game where that leaderboard just have top three entries and i used to play with my sister I, I was pretty good at it so once in a while my sister used to beat me and get on top of leaderboard and that pissed me off and then i play a lot so it was uh, it was quite interesting so what you're telling us that the leaderboards that we have in nlp these days come from retention efforts in games so we're trying to game nlp is that, is that uh, what i'm hearing you could uh, call we want to have high retention rates of uh, our data sets particularly these data sets are very expensive these days so you want people to work on them it's not like you created a data set and you publish one or two papers on that and it's done a best example i think for uh, the evolution of leaderboard in computer science i would say is imagenet challenge so in 2010 uh, fefe lee and colleagues here they started the uh, imagenet challenge it's a challenge about object recognition and if you see in 2012 alexnet came and then that's where that's where the deep revolution came from and we could pinpoint to this particular time point and i think like people notice this result i would say to some reason because of leaderboards everybody know that they could trust these results 
And uh, in NLP, I think the most famous leaderboard is uh, Stanford Question Answering Dataset. And you could clearly see that you could track progress on what's happening with these datasets when you have a leaderboard. So let's be a little clear here. What's the difference between what Stanford and Image, like the Stanford Question Answering Dataset, what Squad did and what ImageNet did versus table on a paper that lists the current best result? What's what's different here? Yeah, there are many differences here. Like uh, leaderboards, I would say you could call a, a paper in a table a leaderboard. And the, the difference there would be you're comparing only, it's a very controlled experiment in a paper and you're comparing probably your own systems with each other and also few other systems. In the case of ImageNet, it was a setup where you could upload test results. So you're given test data and then you're going to upload uh, your predictions and your predictions are being evaluated on ImageNet. Challenge. And the difference with the Stanford question answering dataset is that you have to upload a, a model file, and this model file is run on the test set, and nobody could ever see what's in the test set. So, in the case of ImageNet, you could still see what's in the test set, but and Stanford question answering dataset, you cannot see. And I think that has some advantages and also disadvantages. Yeah, so I guess we could distinguish a few different levels or kinds of what you might think of as a leaderboard kind of thing. The simplest one is, as, as we mentioned earlier, just a table and a paper. A little bit better than that is an aggregation of several papers. So there's this recent NLP Progress website that tries to have crowdsource an aggregation of a whole bunch of results for a lot of different tasks. You could think of that as a kind of leaderboard. Then there's also, but but those are just like someone ran some experiments and reported results, and I'm I'm taking numbers and putting them together to make it easy to find right. stuff. And then that's qualitatively different from what you were just talking about, which is something that has a hidden test set that I need to evaluate True. on. And there are a couple of different versions of that. One is only the labels are hidden, so someone can run on the test data the inputs for the test data, and then send their predictions to be evaluated against the goal labels. And then the other one is the test data itself is also hidden. And so I need to submit code that will run on those inputs and then be evaluated on the hidden labels also. Right. Did we miss anything there? Are the, I would say those are like four different kinds of leaderboards. Yeah. So in the, in the case of NLP progress, I think, uh, first of all, it's a great initiative. And I have been looking into different problems and I could clearly find what I want sometimes. So I would say it's a great initiative. We could, we could talk about different pros and cons of this kind of these leaderboards, I would say. Which one do you think is best? So there's no clear answer, definitely. Ideally, in, in an ideal world, I think uh, the best would be sharing the test set and you would trust people won't fine-tune on test set. But we know that everybody does possess the same knowledge at every point of time and mistakes could happen. It's not intentional mistakes, it could be unintentional mistakes. So I could tell you one story. When I started my PhD, I whenever I do an experiment, I have both development set results and test set results. And I thought, uh, I thought like I should, uh, I should talk about the model that gives me best results on the test set. But like what is important is you should never see what's in the test set. What you should always work with your dev set and report test set results only in the final edition or just before you submit. And when I went to Google. Uh, this is my first internship there. I kind of did the same there and I got shouted at, hey, this is bad science. You should never see test set. And that was eye-opening to me. And I would say like many people who are new to research don't know everything. So we want to be careful, I think. That's that's the reason why we need to have more control on the test sets. And 
the leaderboards are kind of way to provide that and with respect to like uh, NLP progress or uh, tables in papers sometimes like you do not know whether these results are really trustworthy so another anecdote that's similar to what you said is we recently had MLP submission it was rejected but uh, the point I want to make is that there, the comparison that we were making was against a baseline which actually used the test set as part of their tuning oh. but they don't mention that in the paper and we only found out by talking to the authors in person and it's very awkward like they've been helpful like helping us make sense of why the results are the way it is so we try to replicate the results and we're outperforming their method right. even the, the tune and test set but it's very hard to uh, like of course the changes are, are gonna be more pronounced if you don't tune on the test set I think it results in a lot of hardships for other people who are trying to kind of show the improvement of their work yeah true especially I think in these days when you get a lot of PR on doing well at a data set you should be careful that none of these these practices would happen yeah I guess the underlying question is like should we have a hidden test set at all what what benefit do we get and what are the cons and my my initial thought here was that why have a hidden test set does that mean you just don't trust the your fellow researchers you don't trust your colleagues you don't trust them not to cheat why would you do this but yes you you bring up good examples that it's it's actually pretty easy to do the wrong thing on accident or because you're new and you don't know what you're doing so yeah there is a lot of value in having a hidden test set but i think there are also some problems for instance if i don't have a hidden test set and all i have is a leaderboard that computes a number on the hidden test set how do i compute statistical significance or do any kind of better um you don't really want to do error analysis per se on a test set because that will poison it for future researchers but like any better statistics than a single number that the leaderboard doesn't already do for you you're kind of out of luck right you can't do this uh, because you don't have access to the data at all to run any numbers Right. I think like if it is just a statistical significance between two systems that two different people have submitted, I think that could be run on the leaderboard endpoint. And I'm sure like the creators of the data sets would be very happy if somebody takes an initiative and can run this statistical significance test and also have a, another column saying, uh, okay, compare these two systems and whether they have statistical significance or not. If I want to do that for the squad leaderboard, I can't, right? Because I don't have access to the test set. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it has, it has to be the person who, who does squat. That's true. Uh, and I think like it's because like people have limited resources. It's not that they don't want you to do. Like if somebody comes up and volunteers that they want to do this particular thing. And I, I'm sure they would be happy to do that. And we would be happy with Coca, for example if somebody comes and but if it is something that you want to find out you have three or four different models and you want to find out the statistical significance of these results on your end i think you could do that on the dev set rather than doing it on the test set except the systems were tuned on the dev set probably and so i mean like you could also split so these days the dev sets are also quite large so you could split the dev set into two different splits and do it on your end okay if if in the end what we care about is leaderboard performance we can talk in a minute about whether we should care about that or not. If that's what we care about, we really want statistical significance on that number, right? And so dev numbers don't tell us that. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, moving on to, to another con of the hidden test set, at least for basically all of the leaderboards that I know about, this isn't a problem inherent with, with leaderboards per se, but more of their current implementation. They rely on the grad student who runs the leaderboard to actually run your code. And that grad student might be busy with meeting their own deadline right when you're trying to get a leaderboard number. And so you better submit your system weeks in advance or they might not have time to run your number and get back to you for your paper submission. 
very good point yeah i could see that this is happening with me right now the knackle deadline is coming closer and we have three new submissions to coca we have to run a lot of sanity checks on our end and also run things on test set it's not just like we are running on test set we also want to make sure it's a controlled test environment so we run some controlled envo- uh, controlled tests on the dev sets and then we run it on test set and it takes uh, a lot of time but that's a commitment uh, we have taken and it's frustrating sometimes to the people who upload those results i think this is the price we are paying for fair comparisons across models i i think it's even a little bit deeper than this because if you're talking about like blind review so who is the best reviewer for someone who submits a model to coca arguably it's you or someone in your group but because they have to go through you to get their test number there is no longer any blind review that's a great point we got some uh, for example like Danchi Chen was asked to review a paper on Coca and she kindly declined it because we know there are some of these issues and I think we want to take them quite seriously as long as we do not know the others I think that's fine another thing is like if we I haven't thought much about it like what happens if we know about the others that's a very good point again this isn't a problem necessarily with leaderboards in general it's just how they're currently set up maybe we could set it up so that it's totally automated then we don't have almost any of these problems right right so there is some automation there i think like it could be purely automated at this point it's not complete automation but i think uh, at some point we will we will go there yeah i want to point other cons of uh, having leaderboards so one of is this fair comparison between models so we know that like uh, implementing evaluation metrics is also a hard thing like if you take blue there are blue one blue two blue three blue four and when you say blue it's some kind of average between these things and uh, like rouge and it there are all these complexities and we don't want people to work on we don't want to reinvent that metric on their end and run stuff differently from what other people have run so the numbers are exactly comparable at least uh, in that sense yeah i definitely agree with that like too many times i have tried to reimplement a baseline and get matching numbers and i realized too late that i was using the wrong metric and when I fix the metric either things look better than I thought or worse than I thought but these official evaluation scripts are super super helpful right yeah okay so what do I like most about leaderboards I like one particular like kind of leaderboards what uh, squad started Stanford personal data set I think like this is a big effort from Percy Liang here. So they created this platform called CodaLab where you could uh, run models. It's not just uploading test results. And all the models that you see on squad leaderboard, for example, anybody could go and download their models. You could take those models and run on your own test sets or you could do some kind of a black box analysis. And this is what uh, Robin Jia did with uh, with adversarial examples. So now he has all these systems there and how robust are these systems? So the easiest way to us is create a new test set and just run all these models that are already present. This is not just like uh, because Robin is at Stanford, he could do that. Anybody could go and download these models and do those black box analysis for themselves. I think that encourages reproducibility and also more analysis into black box models. So that's the best thing I like about Leaderboards. I I totally agree. And you you really sold me on this point when we talked about this earlier. This is This is really great. One thing you mentioned in our earlier conversation that you didn't bring up just now was that Google and Facebook for a long time were very reluctant to release code. And I talked to people who did internships at Google and were not allowed to submit to the squad leaderboard because they had to upload code. Right. And that's changing because of squad, because of these leaderboards. And so that that's an immense service that methods that once were opaque are now not. We can reproduce them exactly with their code because of these systems, which which is phenomenal. 
Yeah, that's that's really great. Recently, I heard like uh, Codalab is also having some problems with the uh, proprietary code. How to deal with uh, these nuances? It's not clear they have if they have found a solution, but at least we know we could access those models one one way or the other. Maybe I'm a little bit biased being at AI2 where we don't really have proprietary stuff, but I'm very much in favor of, hey, you're doing research. You're submitting like to an open platform, to an open benchmark. This should all be public. Don't use proprietary code to publish your research paper. Maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm a little bit extreme in that view, but yeah, I think this is, this is really great. Yeah. So like so pointing some more cons on having leaderboards, I think it's easy to track progress and it's easy to spot outliers in a way. So like ImageNet, we have AlexNet and that's an outlier. Suddenly everybody was able to point to that. And I think in NLP recently, like BERT or Elmo, I mean, we, these got so much attention, I, I think in a way because of leaderboards and everybody was able to see, okay, there is something big here. Like we could trust these results. And until this point, there are these incremental improvements. But like, what happened here? Like suddenly, why why is there that big jump? And like, you could get that kind of feeling when you write a paper, but like it's a different thing when you see it on a leaderboard. You see the dates, you see the systems, and you see the progress that's climbing and, and sudden jump. And that's what we are talking about, like pointing those things. I think that, that becomes easy. Yeah, I guess uh, a counterpoint to, to this, if you feel really strongly about blind review, once again, we've broken the system, right? Because now, hey, there's this Elmo thing. It beat the squad leaderboard and it hasn't been through a review. Uh, what do we do with this? Yeah. Like, that's kind of a problem if, if you care about review. Whether you should or not is, is a debate lots of people have had. Let's not rehash that here. But this this is problematic. I think like uh, in the case of Bert, like the results were there on the leaderboard even before the paper came out. I mean, it's up to the authors to reveal whether they want to show what it is or they could wait until the reviews uh, the review cycle is done. But, okay, here, here's another really nasty case that's really obnoxious. I submit a paper to a conference that's on a particular data set that has a leaderboard. Yeah. I don't top the leaderboard. Right. Like, a, let's say I'm not at the top and there are two things above me, but neither one has a paper published. Like, I have no idea what it is. I just know that someone got a higher number than me. What do I do? I'm, I'm publishing a paper somewhat like the reviewer is going to see this and say, oh, you're not at the top of the leaderboard. Reject. But those don't those submissions don't have a paper associated with them. So what on earth am I supposed to be doing here? I would call that a bad review. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Uh, but But it happens. It happens. Yeah. So like the point of a paper is to do a controlled experiment, right? And it's not to be on the top of the leaderboard or it's it's something else. I would say like it's perfectly fine to not even cite a paper that's on top of a leaderboard. Because like you're asking a question and you're trying to answer that particular question in this paper and you're doing a controlled experiment. So your baselines might might be something that are relevant to your question. It need not be any any particular system on the leaderboard too. And I think like reviewers should be aware of these facts. So I can tell you one, in my PhD, I started working on, on this data set called web questions. Midpoint of my PhD, that's when like uh, uh, neural models uh, caught up in NLP. And I, I was still this old guy working with uh, linear models. Um, and I, I remember those days. I was one of those old guys still doing that in my PhD when I should have been switched to, to neural nets. Yep. Yeah. Actually, actually, we are not talking that long ago too, right? Yeah. <laughs> like I went to my supervisor and told her like, uh, oh, there are these cool neural models. Now I want to try this. Uh, but her first 
point was like this would change your research direction you are asking some questions here but our goal is to answer those questions it's not uh, that we want to beat those numbers just forget i i still worked on linear models and the numbers my numbers and the state of that numbers are always like three or four points below Oh, my numbers are four points below. Unfortunately, none of the reviewers actually complained that uh, I am not comparing with that particular model. At least it happened in my case. But I could see uh, some people just saying, okay, this is not the state of the art number. So, yeah, I guess we've come to one of my main gripes with leaderboards. And that is that they encourage the field to focus on black box comparisons. Yeah. The people get the idea because these leaderboards are so public and so popular that that's all that matters. And actually, you can't really do science with a leaderboard. Leaderboards don't answer scientific questions. They just give us black box comparisons that don't give us any understanding. They give you fair comparisons and you know what are the trends in the models, but to answer a particular question, I think it's hard to rely on leaderboard. If you have a one particular question you're trying to answer. But let's push on that a little bit. You said they give us fair comparisons. Actually, I completely disagree. They give us they give us consistent evaluations. Oh, yes, yes. But a fair comparison, what is fair? So let's let's consider <laughs> what leaderboards actually do. They keep the value that you submit. So a perfectly acceptable thing to do for a leaderboard is to tune a model to death on a dev set, a very large dev set. Turns out our, our dev sets are large enough that if I get something that works best on the dev set, it's very, very likely that it also works best on this test set that comes from the same distribution. Mm -hmm. And so I can tune my model to death on the dev set and get a really high number and get a correspondingly very high number on the leaderboard. And what does that tell me? Is this a fair comparison to someone who ran a single model on the dev set and submitted it? Great point. Yeah, it's it's not a fair comparison. There are definitely disadvantages with leaderboards. Uh, we should try and address them, I guess. Um, I, I have some, I thought about like how we could address them. It's also a lot of work, I think. It's not just that the organizers of leaderboards should do this. It's also, these are projects on their own. Yeah, let me continue on my soapbox for a little bit before we talk about the solutions. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like basically what you're doing is you're, you're taking the max of a training distribution. It's not even just tuning hyperparameters. It's given a single set of hyperparameters. There's still variance in I can train the same model over and over again with different random seeds and get a distribution. And the leaderboard only tells me the max from this distribution, which is not very informative. Basically, whoever spends the most compute sampling from this distribution gets the highest number on the leaderboard. And it's even worse than that because now we have BERT these days, yeah. which takes what? four TPUs in a cluster or a pod or whatever these are called uh, to run it all. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it, if you want to get on the top of the leaderboard, we know now that you need to use BERT in some way, which means I need some gigantic machine or some ensemble of gigantic machines uh, that are just totally out of reach for the average researcher, which means basically if I want to be on the top of the leaderboard, I have to be at Google or at Facebook. Is that really a problem with leaderboards or in a year, I think it would be hard to sell a contribution, a research contribution in a paper, regardless of, of whether it has a leaderboard or not, if you don't have a, a strong baseline that uses one of those strong improvements, right? I think that's fair. I think the, the thing I'm griping about is that the leaderboard encourages us to do black box comparisons and look just at the top line number and not to do actual controlled experiments that give us understanding. Because really, for, for a lot of things, I can do a gain that gives me understanding 
with Glove. And yes, my absolute numbers will go up if I use Elmo or Bert, but I don't need them in order to understand something about architectures. De there are definitely places you can push back on this, like a lot of the multitask learning gains that people have seen have kind of gone away when you use Elmo, and, and so that that's fair. Um, but there are still a lot of things that can be learned without needing these super computationally expensive experiments or these leaderboards that really only people with ex a ton of compute computational resources can win. Sure. I mean, uh, this is not an argument about leaderboard. It's an argument about how do we make research accessible to people with lower resources. Yeah, yeah, great. That's great. Thank, thank you for pointing that out. I, I agree. And I, my gripe is that leaderboards encourage the wrong kind of science is all. Yes, to be on top of leaderboard, I, I would say you have to have a lot of compute. But like, I also read this recent blog post by Stephen Meriti. If you take evidence-based research, for example, so he says that in 2012, we required 16,000 CPU cores to identify cats. One year later, we have like three servers, two quad-core CPUs. And that's a great progress in a year. And uh, some of these improvements did not come from people with a lot of compute resources. Uh, other thing is like Google Ngrams, for example, like, at some point, Google Ngrams were the de facto, like this, this state-of-the-art language models. And nobody ever thought uh, we could beat them. And then came Vertivec on much smaller data set. It, could, it has nothing to do with compute, I would say here at this point. It's a much better algorithm and it could still beat. So these are points from Stephen Meriti. So I think like uh, it's okay to have this uh, J, uh, people, it's okay for people to have these Jane J compute resources. And it's a good thing that they have these resources because of that we were able to find uh, um, models that would work very well. And the next thing I think as academic people with low resources is what should we do to scale up uh, those models on, on low resources, I think. Yeah, great points. I now step down from my soapbox. We've we've griped enough about this. And you mentioned earlier that you had some ideas about how to fix these problems. So what do you what do you think? Yeah. Uh, so about that distribution part. Yeah, that is worrying. You have a lot of compute. You do a lot of parameter tuning. And just submit one model to leaderboard, and that mo that is the score you see. But the better thing would be. I think like on the leaderboard and having multiple test sets with different distributions. I mean, that way, you know that like even if you do well on dev set, if you haven't generalized well, you may not do well on test set. Uh, we tried to do, do this with Koka. Um, and you could clearly see on like a in-domain test set and out-of-domain test sets, you have some differences. So that's that could be one thing. And the other thing would be uploading multiple models like this and reporting variances. But like that means a lot of compute on the leaderboards. Yeah, it's also a little bit problematic because say I just upload the five best that I saw, that's, that's still basically yeah. taking the max, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. I think like this is something the authors have to take responsibility, like running lots of experiments on dev sets, reporting variances, reporting those graphs, what happens when you change parameters and, and what's the variance. And on the leaderboard end, uh, you could have other metrics. So you, you could report those dev variance metrics on the leaderboard because you cannot run all these models on the test set. Yeah, even with that. So let's say maybe a good idea is to like have the author upload five models and check a box that says, I affirm that these were randomly sampled and not the not the best ones that I saw. And then we just trust the authors. Even that though, you still have this problem of like people tune hyperparameters to different amounts and it's really hard to yeah. control. That There are enough benefits here that something like this where we can measure something like variance while keeping everything else controlled and having consistent baseline performance, this is probably a good thing to right. do. 
I mean, since we're talking about how to address this problem, I think it's important not to stop using what we used to have before the control experiment. So the leaderboards serve a purpose. Part of it is like marketing for, for the data set and part of it is engaging more people, uh, promoting a, sp a certain type of fairness. But we shouldn't stop using what we had before. Uh, and some of it, although you can do some of these statistical significance evaluations on your end as the person running the leaderboard, some of the, some of the analysis will still need to be have to be done by the author. Yeah, I totally agree. I have been thinking like one best way for leaderboards to contribute is if you take uh, setups like Coda Lab, Stanford Questions Dataset, or Coca or Quack, or many of these datasets these days have Coda Lab set up. You have to upload models. And we could take those models and actually have live demos on the fly. Whenever somebody submits, we already have a live demo for that. And people trying to play with these models, breaking them. And we, we clearly could know what are the advantages and the disadvantages, I think. So that's a really great thing you just brought up. It turns out we on the Allen NLP team are thinking a lot about how can we, like, we have demo.allennlp.org that has a whole bunch yeah. of models and we've been wondering can we make it easy to take someone else's code hosted somewhere else and just hook it into our demo to show what they do too and i think we should actually do this so like integrate what we have our demo with code lab results and show demos live i think we should do this what do you think that would be awesome yeah and like we can host this on demo.lnlp.org and like integrate it, it would be awesome we should do it. I think you guys have the compute. Okay, let's talk. That's a good idea. And with that, I think we're running a bit short on time. This has been a really great conversation. Thanks for coming on and talking to this with us. Do you have any last thoughts, anything we missed that you really wanted to talk about? I think I covered everything. I guess there was one point on here that you put in a like pre-discussion notes that didn't come up. And that's, it's welcoming to outsiders to have a leaderboard. Oh, yes. It's it's easy to come in and like there's, there's a simple API. It's like Kaggle. Exactly, yeah. Any one can come and do their best and you don't have to have a ton of expertise for better or worse but it, it helps people get into the field which is a really great point yeah i think it's very welcoming having a leaderboard uh, if you're a high school student or somebody you have this data set that worked out you have the evaluation metric that's worked out and as a young kid i think uh, you are in this competitive spirit that i want to be on this leaderboard as i said like this game people found out that having leaderboards uh, would mean welcoming more people yeah well great thanks thanks for coming on it was nice talking with you uh, Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks a lot, Walid. I really enjoy having this podcast around. I hope you could continue this. Thanks. That's good to hear. We plan on it.